Welcome to The Missing Middle. I'm Kara Stern. And I'm Mike Moffat. Last week, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation released its rental market report. And it will come as no surprise to many, who anyone really looking for an apartment, that supply is at an all-time low. Prices are at, I believe they're all-time highs. They're up 8% year over year. The nationwide vacancy rate has reached a new low of 1.5% in 2023. And that's the lowest rate since the CMHC began keeping track. So let's start there, Mike. Purposeful rental market has a 1.5% vacancy rate across the country. So what does that tell us? Well, basically that if you have an an apartment building that has 100 units, that one or two of those 100 units will be available to rent. That is exceptionally low. Like you always want to have some inventory because, you know, people move around, they change cities and so on. So normally you you would want to have a, a, a vacancy rate around that sort of three to four percent level. That would be considered sort of a balanced market. Oh my gosh, we're nowhere near that. We are nowhere near that. Yeah, we are at one point five percent, and and cities that had been higher, like like Edmonton, up at four percent. You know, they're starting to converge to this one point five percent level. So what that means is if you're looking for an apartment right now, there's not a lot of inventory out there. And because we have this supply demand uh, imbalance, it's the reason why that rents are going up eight, eight, nine percent year over year. So why is it so low? Big thing is is population growth. Uh, you know, we've seen, you know, we've had a couple episodes about this with, you know, international students and, and other groups that our population is growing rapidly, but our supply of apartment buildings isn't. I know we're talking about the CMHC report, but there was another report that came out from the Bank of Canada recently, their, their latest monetary policy report. And they had a, a fascinating chart. Maybe we can link to it in, in the show notes where they show on the same graph, they show population growth and rent growth. And over the last uh, few years, you know, the correlation t- to them is nearly perfect. And you see both of them shoot up, that the population growth has gone way up, and so too has uh, rent growth. My gut says that population growth, when you have uh, new people into the country, they're more likely to start off renting. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the people, when when they get here, and that could be permanent residents, non-permanent residents, it, it takes a while to settle in. It takes a while to uh, you know, earn enough income for a down payment on a house, to develop a credit history, and that kind of thing. So, so absolutely, the uh, uh, new uh, newcomers to Canada you know, very heavily disproportionately rent. So they are affected by far most to this uh, the shortage of inventory that uh, newcomers to Canada are really getting hit hard these days. According to the report, 20% of the rental market is condos. Is that, and well, two per thirds of those are in Toronto and Vancouver. I was wondering if that's, a, does that number seem right to you? Is it surprising? Is that low, high? Yeah, and it really differs uh, across the country. So and it's why we use this clunky language called purpose built rental, which is you know this really clunky term, but it just basically means an apartment unit that is designed to be rented, right? That there's someone who owns the entire building and is renting out all the units. Where it's condo is basically where each of the individual ownership, uh, each of the individual units have individual ownership. 
And because of that, you know, we see people who will buy up uh, condo units and, and rent them out. So it is, uh, you know, different across the country. And yeah, in our, in our biggest cities, particularly the GTA and GVA, absolutely, you, you, a large part of our inventory isn't so-called purpose-built rentals, but rather it's condo units that have entered the secondary market. Is there a correlation between uh, higher prices and it being a condo or is it kind of, I guess, a purpose-built rental? I would imagine a purpose-built rental would generally be cheaper because they tend to be older buildings in some ways, but also you get the benefit of knowing that it's a purpose-built rental. It's not going anywhere. You're not going to have someone wanting to sell to kind of collect on the gains that they've made on it. Is Does that make yeah, sense? There's a, there's a little bit more certainty. And particularly if you have a purpose-built rental that's owned by a large corporation, you're not going to have this you know kind of thing where you say, oh, my grandmother needs to use the unit, so you need to sort of get out. So you know there are sort of advantages to having uh, purpose-built rentals. And generally speaking, you know, we see people buying up condos and, and renting them out in markets that have very low vacancies, right? That people see this sort of opportunity and go, hey, we really haven't built that many purpose-built rentals. So, you know, I could go out and, and buy a condo unit and, and, and rent it out. And we've seen that happen across the country. It tends to be, uh, you know, we, we see it in markets that have very high rents, but it's not necessarily causing the high rents. But rather, investors are seeing those high rents and, and smelling an opportunity. Is that a good thing that they're attracted to that and are that, that they're deciding to come and make that investment? Well, I, I think you'd rather have purpose-built rental, right? Like, like if, if we had to sort of rank order outcomes, the, the, the highest rank would be having enough purpose-built rental that that wasn't really necessary. But, you know, since we're not there yet, then you have this, you know, uh, you, you have this sort of trade off where you've got investors buying up these condos and renting them out. Yeah, that's creating rental stock that otherwise wouldn't exist, which is which is helpful. But it's also blocking first time homebuyers against the market. So it creates this kind of zero sum game of, of renters versus owners. So it's you know, you can understand why it's happening. And it does have benefits in the in the sense that it creates uh, rental units that otherwise wouldn't exist. But it tends to be um, a sign of a broken market. It tends to be a sign of a market that just hasn't built enough purpose built rentals to keep up with population growth. I wanted to go through some of the numbers. So the average two bedroom rental went up by 8% across the country. And so the average now is uh, just it's 1359. And that is every part of Canada, and it also includes places that are rent controlled. So that's why it's uh, maybe lower than some people would have expected. The condo vacancy rate is zero point nine percent, so even less. And the average two bedroom is up to two thousand and fifty dollars across the country. But obviously, we know that they're in some cities. They're like it's totally different in Vancouver. The average two bed purpose built rental is twenty one eighty one, and the average for condos is twenty five eighty. And in Toronto, the average purpose-built rental is 1940 versus 2862 for condos. So I found it kind of interesting that for average purpose-built rentals in Vancouver, um, it's higher in Vancouver than in Toronto, but condos are lower in Vancouver than Toronto. Any idea what's going on there? Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I think a lot of it is just due to the differences in the rental stock that you mentioned earlier. Um, British Columbia has been building just as many purpose-built rentals as Ontario, despite the fact it's like a third the size. 
So what that means is that the inventory of purpose-built rentals in BC is newer. And because it's newer, it tends to be a little bit more expensive. And this is why these kind of average you know, data, they, they tell you a lot, but they can also be a little bit misleading. Right. If you've got a city that rental stock is really old, you know, that the rents on those are going to naturally be a little bit older. Um, And that's not, again, really necessarily reflective of supply and demand imbalances. It's just that, you know, people go, okay, I can live in an apartment building from the 60s or I can rent out a, a brand new condo. A lot of them will choose the other one. So, so these differences are are largely due to the relative age of the rental stock versus the age of the condo stock. And I just want to remind people that when they say the average purpose built rental in Toronto is 1940 right now, that includes people who have been there, you know, 20 years were paying way below market. It's all people who are rent controlled along with people who are moving in today. And obviously, like, I don't think you can find a two bedroom in Toronto for 1940, even though that's the average, like everything I've been seeing has been closer to like 3000 almost. Um, I don't, I don't think that exists. So it's kind of a misleading stat in some ways when people see that because you can't actually get that nowadays. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's always really important to look at, like, what is the data actually telling you? So there is uh, another site called rentals.ca that publishes a monthly rent report just on new leases. So it gives you an idea of what people are actually, you know, new renters are actually paying. And that tends to be a lot more volatile. Right, that tends to go up higher in good times, and and uh, can actually fall further in bad times, uh, be, because of that sort of uh, it because it's not including all of those people who have been in a rent controlled unit for for twenty years, which can absolutely change that average. So yeah, it's really important to 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 differentiate what we're talking about. Is it like average rents across the board? Or is it average rents for for uh, new uh, new tenants? And for new tenants, absolutely, it's a lot higher these days. I know when politicians talk about affordable rentals, one thing I had learned was that the city of Toronto, for example, will say that a the an affordable rental unit can be up to hundred percent of the average market rent. And I thought that's so weird. Like, how can how can it be a hundred percent of that and be called affordable? But they're saying it has to do with exactly those numbers when you consider the rent control as well. So I see often they. There are some like affordable housing projects in Toronto that I've followed that will say we're aiming for 100% of average market rent. So we're affordable or 80% even if, if they're lower. And it's it's such a weird way of calculating it. And that's, I guess, how they calculate affordable rentals versus looking at it geared to income. It's just compared to the market rent. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I was reading a, a report by uh, Carolyn Weitzman. Uh, and I think most of, most of our listeners and viewers would know her, you know, one of the really broad Right minds on, on Canadian housing. And she was talking about uh, uh, this definition of affordability. It was a report that she had put together for the um, for the federal government. And when it comes to the CMHC, they I think they have six or seven different definitions of uh, affordability, uh, depending on the, the program that's used. Some of them are, you know, based on market conditions. Some of them are based on on income. So yeah, you you get this kind of alphabet soup of, of definitions. In, in my mind, it, it should be based on incomes, right? Like if, if uh, you know, imagine, you know, uh, uh, rents skyrockets, uh, you know, go $10,000 a home, you know, $10,000 a month for rent, you know, some places 
sell renting for eight thousand dollars you know nobody in their right mind would say oh well that's that's affordable that's 80 well, percent of market definition rent. of some politicians it totally is right it totally is and, and not just politicians but but some of our affordable housing programs uh so yeah, it's never really made that much sense to me. I, I think we should look at should be looking at incomes. The challenge is when you do look at incomes in a city like Toronto or Vancouver, you just basically end up concluding that that nothing is is affordable. But you know, for anyone that's kind of uh, at median income levels or, or below, that you know they end up paying you know far more than thirty percent of their their monthly income in in rent. Yeah, I feel like that's why they changed it. I know Carolyn's talked about that before, how it used to be that they would actually use it geared to income. And then now it, it kind of changed over time. And I guess it makes it easier to hit the goals, but it doesn't make it easier for people to be able to afford the rentals anymore. Well, exactly. Cause, because that's what I care about at the end of the month, right? It's like, okay, what, what, what is this place costing me relative to how much I'm making and how much do I have? left at the end of the month you know 80 80 percent of super expensive is still super expensive particularly <laughs> if i'm not making that much money so yeah yeah you know it does feel like a, a definition that's you know far more useful to to politicians than than to renters i know that the vacancy rate in montreal is also 1.5 percent, but their average two-bedroom purpose-built rentals is only 1096 and their condos are 1642 and I was just curious if you know what's going on there, because I know that Montreal kind of bucks the trend a little bit, but is the vacancy rate concerning that that might not last? Yeah, and we've seen rents go up in, in Montreal as well. That Montreal and, and Quebec in general um, tends to have uh, lower lower rents. And a lot of that, is, again, is due to the supply-demand uh, dynamics, that Quebec tends to be one of the slowest-growing uh, provinces population-wise, uh, but also from a regulatory point of view, it has a really good environment uh, for building apartment buildings. Uh, you know, the, the 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 fees and charges tend to be lower than Ontario. Their planning system is a little bit more permissive, uh, a little bit more uh, re- responsive uh, to uh, to to actually getting getting stuff built. So. You know, I, I think they they are worth looking at. You know, not just on the population growth side, uh, but really their ability to build up, um, you know, build up apartment buildings. But even now in Montreal, we're seeing uh, we're seeing those rents go up. That you know, construction still isn't keeping up with uh, the, the growth in the the greater Montreal area. I know that some of the places in Quebec, I don't know if it's all of it or just Montreal, but I know that there's some uh, vacancy control, meaning that the people who when they when someone moves out, the landlord can't jack up the rent the way they do in Ontario. Uh, they have to keep it to a certain amount. Is the, how much of a role does that play? It tends to be a little bit more complicated, but yeah, o- overall, the, the the Quebec system that the rent control is based on the unit, not not based on the tenant. So, it, you know these these type of rules tend to advantage existing renters um, because they can't. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to see their, their rents jacked up and they can find, sometimes find other places to go. The challenge is that it might, it might be hard to get new units built. Now, Quebec's been again able to avoid that partly because their population hasn't grown as fast, but partly, um, you know, again, their, their taxes and fees and charges and regulations tend not to be as onerous as, as Ontario. So that's allowed them to have this more restrictive system and still get apartment buildings built. 
wanted to look into Alberta a little bit because there, the the rental report said that high interprovincial migration contributed to the increases in Calgary and Edmonton. And I always hear people say, if you can't afford Toronto, if you can't afford where you're from, just move. That's what people do. And I always respond, well, that just exports the housing crisis. And that's what's happening here, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely what happened uh, here. And that's, you know, that's not unique at all. Uh, you look at uh you know, my hometown of London, Ontario, you know, the reason why home prices have gone up so much in the last decade is in part because of families doing the drive until you qualify thing where they leave the GTA and drive as far as they need to go in order to find a house. And, you know, lately, they last few years, they've, they've ended up in, in London. So absolutely. And they fly till they qualify to get fly to till they qualify these times. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you see that particularly like if you look at the data. It tends to be people who had just, you know, the age at which you just finished college or university and are getting their first job. And I've, uh, you know, last course I I taught with my students, I I heard this a lot that, you know, a decade ago, my students and I teach fourth year undergrad. So they're all going on to the job market. uh, I would hear that, you know, they, they were just looking for the best job possible, period. Right. And they go, okay, if the best job's in Toronto or New York or Vancouver, that's where I'm going to go. Nowadays, they consider the cost of living far more so, and they'll be willing to take a lower income job or a job that might not have the best career pathway if it's in a location that is far more affordable, if they're not going to, you know, go broke for the next, you know, the first four or five, six years of their career. So what I'm seeing from my students is a lot of them were considering going to Alberta. Uh, You know, some of them were from Alberta to begin with, but even if they weren't, they were considering going there or they were considering going to the U.S. or like a a place like Denver or Houston, you know, those kind of uh, big but somewhat secondary markets that still have affordable uh, home prices. So absolutely that we're seeing those high rents and high home prices from the GTA and GVA spread all across the country. It's kind of sad if they're all moving to the states because they're, you know, Canada's investing money into students by subsidizing their tuition. And so then it's like, are we just subsidizing people so we can help the workforce in America? That's kind of that's kind of a sad thing. Yeah, uh, there is real concern about uh, brain drain. Now, the numbers haven't really shown that that we're hitting massive levels of that yet. And we have in, in Canada's past that if you look at the early 1990s, there really was an exodus of young professionals out of Canada to, to places like like Arizona, um, you know, particularly the American South. That doesn't seem to be happening yet at the quite the same levels. We'll have to see next time StatCan comes out with data. But at least anecdotally, uh, we're hearing this happening more and more and more. And I think it's going to eventually show up in the data. I remember seeing the ad campaign telling people in Toronto to move to Alberta. It was all over the subways. It would say like, this is how much a home is in Ontario. This is how much it is in Alberta. Move to Alberta. And I guess that some people must be doing that. But that also kind of seems like a way to get housing prices out of control very quickly when so many people are moving. And I was trying to figure out why is the government encouraging that? Like, do they want home prices to go crazy? Yeah, this is a classic be careful what you wish for. So so no, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with home prices at all. I think it has to do uh with with labor shortages or at least perceived labor shortages. Um so for instance in the last Alberta election, uh the Alberta NDP were also talking about uh giving uh signing retention bonuses to to nurses and other healthcare workers that that if you moved from Ontario to Alberta and you work in the healthcare sector, 
um, you know, not only would you get cheaper housing, but they would actually give you, you know, um, uh, financial benefit, a financial top up. So, so that's what they were trying to do was address these labor market issues. And I think that's kind of a microcosm of everything we've seen over the last decade in Canada. You know, again, whether it be the international student issues or the, the increases in immigration targets, none of that was designed to juice the housing market. It was designed about real concerns about our labor market, you know, real concerns about, uh, you know, the, the so-called gray tsunami of retiring people and how we were going to have enough people to replace them. So that's what it was all about. But, you know, it does have these secondary effects on the housing market, particularly if you don't put in the conditions to actually get enough houses built. It's a lot of uh, college and university students who have finished their studies and they're out looking for their first job. A lot of 21, 22, 23 year olds who are, who are moving out there in that combination of, you know, lower, uh, lower rents. And, you know, their economy's done pretty well over the last uh, last few years. So they've been attracting a lot of people. Um they, they also had more births over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. Their birth rate tended to be higher than other provinces. So, you know, you've just got more people graduating into that 15, 16-year-old cohort. So, yeah, Alberta's got a lot of really young people, which I think is is fantastic for their economy and their culture. But, boy, they got to start building enough apartments for everyone or they're, they're going to have the same problems that, that we're, we've been having in southern Ontario. If the government wanted to try to find a quick solution? Like, what's the fastest way to improve rental prices? Well, I think it's a lot of what they did on the international student side. I think those are, you know, what what they're looking for. Uh, you know, I think that we are going to have to give more supports uh, to low-income renters. We might see that in budget 2024, um, you know, additional uh, rent subsidies and, and that kind of thing. You know, those are all kind of short-term uh, fixes. I think in the longer term, we just need to build more apartment buildings. Yeah, those short-term fixes, I look at those and I think whenever I hear about them, the government giving money to low-income renters, I always think, well, that's just uh, passing it along to the landlords, making sure the landlords still get paid, right? Well, yeah, and that's 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 one of the big challenges. Now, I still think we need to do this, particularly uh, the the lower end. And you know, here in Ontario, you know, increasing uh, the rental allowance for ODSP and Ontario Works is is massively overdue. So, I, I do think we need to do those things. But I think your concerns are real. That you know, is this kind of just a flow through to to landlords? I think in the long run, we just need to build more apartment buildings and. Uh, you know, we've seen the federal government act on this, you know, eliminating the GST on purpose built rentals. You know, we need the provinces uh, to follow suit. We need to do more on on, on zoning. We got to eliminate parking minimums, which I know is one of your my favorite uh, topics that that would go a long way to, to creating affordability on on building new rentals. But th- that's the challenge that, that you point out is that all of the immediate solutions are on the demand side. Because it takes a while to, to build up that supply, but we're going to have to do it or, you know, you and I are going to be having this conversation, you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now. Oh, I hope not. I hope it's fixed long not, before I, that. I, I, I hope we can talk about something else. <laughs> That's all for us today on The Missing Middle. Thanks so much for watching and listening. And thanks as always to our amazing producer, Meredith Martin. And please like and subscribe and leave a comment. We'd really love to hear from you. See you next time.